We're in a series called Closer, and we started the series on New Year's Day, and what we've been talking about is how important it is for us as God's children to not only desire, but to to make it a priority in our lives to be closer to God. In fact, you know, New Year's is a time where we typically think about you know, what do we want to accomplish this year? How do we want this year to be different from last year? We think about what, might, what God might bring into our lives this year, what challenges, what, um, what new relationships, what exciting uh, news he'll bring in our lives this year, or, you know, what new successes, or, you know, whatever it may be. And some people make resolutions, others do not, but I can't think of a better goal that we could have as God's children than to be in God's presence and to, to search him out and to seek him more diligently so that we can be closer to him. And why would we want that? Why would we want to be closer to God? Because it means that we will know him better. Because we do have what, 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 we, what we claim as disciples of Jesus is to have a relationship with God. A, a personal, intimate relationship with God. That's what God wants with us. That's what God wants for us. And God is the one who, who is pursuing us and always seeking us out. Even though it feels at times, I know it feels at times like he may be distant. Like he might not care about your problems or your challenges in life. Or like he may not hear you when you pray. But the truth is, I mean all throughout the scriptures we hear that God is diligently and relentlessly pursuing us. He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want anything to stand in the way between us and him. He loves us, he wants to be with us, and he wants us to be more like him. We are the ones who who tend to put obstacles in the way. (laughs) We are the ones who who tend to want to keep God at a distance. And that's what we've been talking about. And we've been talking specifically about what those obstacles are that we face in our lives that keep us from getting closer to God and how we can get them out of the way. That's what this whole series has been about. And we'll talk about that a little later. But today I want to focus on one specific obstacle, just like we've been doing every week. And that obstacle is what we're going to call the fear of people. The fear of people. Or you might refer to it, you might think about it as the love of praise. That's what we're talking about this morning as a major obstacle that stands in the way of us getting closer to God. Now, many people are are very quick to say, well, I don't care what other people think. I don't care what other people think about me. I do what I want. I say and do what I want. It is so uncool to care about other people's opinions, isn't it? Nobody wants to admit that they're actually afraid of other people or afraid of what other people might think about them or other people's opinions. But the truth is we all care about other people's opinions. Let's just acknowledge that here this morning. I think we all care more than we would like to admit what other people think about us the question is do you care too much is your concern for what other people think more like a fear and what are you missing out on in life because you fear other people that's what we're going to talk about today and i'd like you to think about these scenarios as you begin to think about whether or not you struggle with this fear so imagine this. Imagine with your, you're with a group of people at school or work, and they start being unfairly critical of someone who isn't there, and it turns into mocking. 
you know that if you came to the defense of that person or stood up for them, you would be mocked as well. What would you do in that situation? When you're alone and your mind wanders, do you ever envision people applauding you or admiring you? When you listen to music, do you picture yourself as the performer? You're with another couple or family who you really like and you really respect and your kids start misbehaving. Or or, or you ask one of your kids to do something and they give you a defiant no. Are you embarrassed by that? Would you overreact and punish the kid, not so much for their sin, but because they made you look bad? You're driving when, when a song comes on that you love and you burst out singing. All of a sudden you look over and see the stranger in the car next to you taking in the spectacle with great curiosity. Would you stop the performance short? Is there, is there a specific sin in your heart that you regularly confess to God, but rarely or maybe never confess to another person? You find yourself stuck next to a stranger. I probably shouldn't use the word stuck, but you find yourself next to a stranger for the next half hour or so on a bus or a plane or at the DMV or somewhere. You sense an opportunity or maybe even a conviction to tell them or start talking to them about Jesus. Would you do it or are you too afraid to utter his name? Would it be any different if it was with a neighbor or a co-worker? Now, I, I, I ask you those questions or I'm asking you to think about those things because each one of us has been in a situation when to say what we really feel or what we really believe or to do what we really want is costly. And it's costly because it might change someone's opinion of us, Right? Or because if we, if we do or say the thing we really want to, they may like us less. Let's be honest. There are times when we would rather say nothing or hide the truth or protect our image than to do the right thing or to do the thing we really feel like we should do. There are times when we care more about looking good than being holy. We can be more concerned about what other people think about us than what God thinks about us. And when that happens, you are not going to get any closer to God, I guarantee you. There's a wall that's going to go up, a barrier between you and God when that happens. Now before we go any further, I'd like to give you just a a definition in my own words of what the Bible commonly calls the fear of man. We, We see that phrase all throughout the Bible, the fear of man, what is that? What is, what is God talking about when he talks about the fear of man? Here's what I think he's talking about. A dangerous preoccupation with the opinions, affections, or abilities of other people. That's what it amounts to. How badly do you want people to like you? How badly do you want them to accept you? Or to admire you? Or to respect you? Is it okay to want their respect and approval? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to want that. But do you want it too much? That's what we're exploring this morning. I'd like to start by sharing a a verse out of the book of Proverbs. In in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. This is what we read there. The fear of man lays a snare or a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So what is interesting here is that 
Solomon, he presents two ways to go or two ways to live. There's a dangerous way and a safe way. You can fear people or you can trust God, but you can't do both. It's an either or. All right, you can't have both. One way leads to danger. The other way leads to safety. Fearing people and trusting God are completely incompatible. You can't have it both ways. The problem for us is that fearing people is always easier because we can see them. <laughs> we can see them and hear them, you know, very tangibly. And, and, and you know, we kind of, we feel their physical presence more than we feel God's presence most of the time. It, it, it just feels right to be influenced by other people's opinions of us most of the time. It feels good. There's some immediate reward that goes along with it. I like what it gives me when people accept me and, and, and give me praise or restore me respect. I like the feeling of being loved and respected and applauded. But doing what God wants doesn't always feel good right now. Isn't that true? It can sting a little bit. It's unpopular and even uncomfortable. It may put you in a very unpopular or unfavorable light with other people. The glory that people offer me feels better in the moment than the glory that God offers me later. I think that's kind of how it works. Have you ever told, you know, we, we call, um, we have this thing we call like little white lies. Or maybe we exaggerate the truth. Or we bend to the truth a little, whatever you want to call it. Have you ever done that? Maybe with your boss or your spouse, because it was convenient, and, and, and it wouldn't really hurt anybody, and they won't find out anyway, and if you told them the truth, it might open a can of worms, or it just may make you look bad, or even cause trouble in your life, right? We've all probably done that. I have. And at times, you know, I was really convicted about it, and I went back and confessed the truth, and I never regretted doing that, but I haven't always confessed and confession doesn't always feel good at first. You may lose something, but what you won't lose is God's protection. That's what the proverb is telling us. It is always safer to trust God, always safer to obey. There's this uh, place in the book of Matthew where Jesus said, um, Ma- Matthew 10:28, Don't fear those who can kill the body, but not the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. I'd like you to think about that for a minute. Now, Jesus is in the context specifically talking about the fear of people. And, he's, and he, what he's simply saying is, hey, don't fear people. The worst they can do is kill you. <laughs> and, and we would probably think, you know, well, really, Jesus? That sounds pretty bad. I don't want to be killed. But what he means is this. It is better to die trusting in God than to live with the fear of people. That is how dangerous the fear of people can be. It makes us fearing when you are preoccupied with the opinions of other people, it will cause you to do things that if it weren't for the death of Jesus would separate you from God's presence forever. Think about that. That's how dangerous this can be. It causes us to compromise. It causes us to stay quiet when we need to speak. It causes us to hide. And all kinds of other things. There's a passage in uh, John chapter 12. And and the Apostle John is 
is, is telling us that in spite of the many miracles that Jesus was performing, most of the Jews would not believe in him. And actually, they could not believe in him. They absolutely could not believe in Jesus. And the reason was because they feared the opinions of other people. And when we get to um, verse 42 of chapter 12, John tells us of another group of people. And this is, this is not the people who couldn't believe, but this is what he says about them. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities, the Jewish authorities, believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We're told here that there were people in power who had some kind of social status or maybe political status, something like that. And they, they believed that Jesus was telling the truth about God. They believed in Jesus. They believed that he really was who he said he was. But they feared what would happen to them if they confessed that belief. If they came out into the light and into the open and associated themselves with Jesus. They were afraid of what would happen to them. They feared losing that power or control that they had. They believed that if you trust God, he might let you down. They believed the lie that people are bigger than God. That's what's going on here. In their eyes, people were bigger than God. They loved the approval of people, especially important people, more than God's approval. You can't have it both ways. And I would guess that there are probably some of us here today who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's worthy of our praise and that he is the best thing there is in life. And that your life will never be the same because of what Jesus has done on the cross and through the resurrection. And you might sing about Jesus here and talk about him here. But when you're out in the world, you're quiet. Because you love the praise of people more than you love the praise of God. You care more about what other people think about you than what God thinks about you. That's the problem. Some of us, we say what we want to in here and we're honest about our faith. But when we're out in the world, we say what the world wants to hear. And those people, you know, if that's you, you're driven by fear wherever you go. That's fear. That's fear. And we're told here in John 12 that the reason that these particular, this particular group of people feared the Pharisees was because they valued their status. To gain Jesus meant that they might lose their reputation or lose their privileges of meet, you know, meeting, meeting in the synagogue and having that you know, respect from other people. And that's what they valued. They, re- they valued the respect and glory that men could give them. And what Jesus is telling us about this group of people is that, and, and about us actually, is that our fears tell us what we think we need. These people, they thought they needed the respect of other people. They needed that glory. They needed that approval and that applause and that recognition or that status or whatever it was. They needed it. And that's why they feared the Pharisees and what the Pharisees might do to them if they confessed Jesus. And it's the same with us. Our fears tell us what we think we need. If money is the thing you need, 
or, or if money's the thing that you must have to feel safe, you will fear losing your job or your business, and you'll do whatever it takes to keep it. And that's what will drive you. If success is something you need, you'll be terrified of failure. If you need to be attractive, you will fear being overweight or losing your hair or whatever is threatening your appearance, your physical appearance. If you need the approval of others, you will fear criticism or rejection. If your children are what give you significance, you will need your children to succeed and to obey you in public especially. If your kids are unruly in public, you'll be humiliated and totally frustrated and you'll overreact. I mean, some think, let me ask you this. Are, are you, are you overprotective and, and, and involved and feeling exhausted as a parent? Are you just feeling exhausted? You know, that might be, well, think about this. Have you ever thought that the wrong school or the wrong team or the wrong experience or some bad experience might handicap your child for life? Do you worry that your kid might not get a fair shake or that they might, they might miss a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Listen, we as parents typically associate those, those, those questions and those feelings and those fears as love. But let me tell you, it may not be love. It may all be fear. It may all be driven by fear. So don't ignore your fears. What I'm, what I'm asking you to do today is think about your fears and listen to them. Because your fears tell you what you think you need most in life. They're telling us what we value most. When I was a senior in high school, I got a job selling luggage in a shopping mall. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, I was actually the youngest and newest employee at this uh, little store. And um, it was, wasn't my first job, but one of my first jobs. And I, pretty early on, they put me on shift with this girl. Uh, she was a couple years older than me. And uh, she was popular. Everyone liked her. She was attractive. She was good at what she did. She had been working there for a while. So I came into the store that one night. I was a little nervous because I knew it was just going to be her and me on shift that night, and um, there was nobody else in the store, and, and, and I, walk, I was walking back to the back room where we kept all the inventory and all that stuff, and the door was a crack open, and there was a mirror, like, on the other side of the door, and I happened to see through the crack, and I could see her on the other side of the door stuffing a purse into her bag. It happened to be a coach purse, I noticed. For those of you ladies know that those are pretty nice, I guess. And I saw her stuffing in her, and, and, and so I stopped. I stopped. I didn't go through the door, and I saw this happen. And I kind of froze. And I had a choice in that moment. I had a choice. I could stop her. I could call her out. I could say, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do that. You're going to lose your job, you know? I could have saved her job, in fact. But instead, I said nothing. I waited till she was done, and then I went through the door. I wanted her to like me. That's what I wanted, right? I didn't want to be the guy who made her uncomfortable or made her upset or, or who, who, you know, 
the guy who was responsible for getting everyone's favorite employee in trouble. So I hid the truth. And sure enough, two weeks later, she was caught stealing another bag and she was fired. And it was then that I confessed what happened to my boss. <laughs> I'm good at confessing late. I had an opportunity, however, in that moment to show courageous love to her, to do what was right, to, to, do, to do the thing that honored God, to maybe save her job, to trust and obey the Lord. But I chose to fear people instead. And the reason is that I needed that girl to like me. I needed her approval more than I needed God's approval. I've made a lot of decisions, unfortunately, in life like that. Have you? Listen, that's, that is keep, those kinds of decisions, those kinds of fears are keeping us from experiencing God's life. And God's power and God's presence they are keeping us from getting closer to God. And so the question we need to think about today and every day is what can we do when, our, when, when people seem bigger than God? What can we do when our fear of other people keeps us from getting closer to God? And what, this is what we've been talking about for weeks now, and I want to just briefly recap what, what, how we've been going through this series and some of the things we've talked about. The first week we talked about one of the biggest obstacles we face in getting closer to God's presence, and that's indifference. Indifference. You know, just thinking we're fine with God, not being fueled by a passion for God, not seeking Him diligently every day of our lives, indifference. That's a terrible thing, and Jesus pronounces judgment on people who are indifferent towards Him. He says they're lukewarm. I would rather you be hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, He said. So, what's the solution to indifference? Zeal and repentance. That's what we talked about in week one. In week two, we talked about busyness as an obstacle that stands between us and God. And the solution to busyness is solitude with God in prayer. Is setting aside time early, early in the morning before, while it's still dark, just like Jesus did, to spend time with our Heavenly Father. To be filled with His thoughts and His words. In week three, last week, we talked about overcoming guilt and how guilt stands between us and God and how it keeps us from drawing closer to God's presence. And the solution to guilt is so simple, and yet it's one of the hardest things we ever have to do, and that is to confess our sin to to the people that we've sinned against. It's just confession. Just being honest about who we are and about what we've done and asking for forgiveness. Guilt removes the power of, or confession removes the burden of guilt and brings us into the presence of God. And today, our obstacle we're talking about is the fear of people. And the solution I'd like to offer you is very simple. And it's the solution the Bible gives us over and over again. And it's this. Learn to fear the Lord. Grow in the fear of the Lord. Stop fearing people. Fear God. Fear God. That sounds simple, right? It sounds simple. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? Author Ed Welch, offers a, a, a great definition of the fear of the Lord, and this is what he said. The fear of the Lord means reverent submission that leads to obedience, and it is inter- interchangeable with worship, rely on, trust, and hope in. It's, those are all synonyms of what it means to fear the Lord. But ultimately, what fearing the Lord produces is reverent obedience. Reverent obedience. 
And the fear of God, and this is something that we need to point out, this is not some kind of terror fear. Like, oh no, God's going to get me if I don't obey him. Now, there are people who live that way, but that's not the kind of fear that we're, ch- that we're chasing after. That's not the kind of fear we want. That's, that's not the kind of fear that fuels intimacy with God. We're not talking about a terror fear or a fear of punishment. Now, people who don't know God may be motivated by that, but not the child of God. Because the child of God has experienced forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and that produces a whole different kind of fear. It produces an intimate reverence, a worship fear. And that fuels intimacy with God. The people who relate to God through terror fear obey him out of the fear of punishment. But the child of God, the person who has a personal relationship with God, is fueled by love and honor and worship and reverence. They no longer fear punishment. They no longer carry guilt and shame around with them. They're no longer afraid of what might happen to them when they finally stand naked before God or that God's going to get back at them for all the bad things they've done because they know that Jesus was already punished for their sin. Jesus was judged on the cross for our sins so that when we stand before God, we will pass through the judgment. We will not be condemned along with the world. We will be safe. We will be kept safe. And be brought safely into God's presence. Because Jesus Christ will stand as our advocate. And he will say, this one is mine. I've paid the price for their sin. This, they are my, he is my brother. She is my sister. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Here is your Father God. And nothing will stand between us and God anymore. That is, our hope. that is our future as children of God. That is the kind of fear and, and, and reverence and awe that should fill us and lead us to obedience because of how good God is. Not because he's some mean, you know, um, angry father who's out to get us. I have such good news for you this morning. The fear of God is something that can be learned. Did you know that? The fear of God can be learned. We can change so that we are no longer ruled by what we think we need from other people. And we can change from people who are driven by the opinions of others to people who are obsessed with God's thoughts towards us. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 10, God said, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Now, what are the people supposed to teach to their children? The words of God. Why? Why do, why do parents need to teach their children the words of God? So that we can learn to revere him as long as we live. This is the fear of the Lord. It can be developed and learned and fueled by the words of God. In Psalm 34... Verses 9 and 11, David wrote, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. How can we learn the fear of God? 
by seeking him diligently, by searching for him, by reading and meditating on God's word to us. The solution I'm offering to you today is very simple. If you want to be free from the fear of people, you have to start growing in the fear of God. And the way you grow in the fear of God is to fill yourself with the words of God. The words of God. You have to spend time with God. You have to get to know God. You have to submit yourself to the authority of God's word. And just like all the solutions we've been talking about, this is so simple and so hard at the same time. I know that. You know, it's not easy to make time with God and his word a priority, especially, especially when your affection for Christ is not what it used to be. I mean, think about this. This is the honest truth. Have you ever, ha- haven't some of us just become bored with God? I mean, we, we talked about this in the first week, in, on New Year's Day, we talked about this. Indifference, right? Have you ever grown just bored with God? You know, you've heard it all. You've been to church a thousand times. What, what, what fresh thing could there be? Haven't some of us become bored with God? We've come to this place in our relationship with God where we think we know everything we need to know to get to heaven. I mean, heaven is what it's about, right? Just getting to heaven? Listen, unfortunately, getting to heaven is the goal for many Christians. Now, that's not a bad goal when you consider the alternative, which, according to God, is a never-ending swim in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get to heaven. But if that's your goal, then Jesus Christ is a means to an end for you. Did you know that? You might as well just say to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and for suffering unspeakable agony on the cross and having your body torn to shreds and slowly suffocating to death while being abandoned by your eternal father. I'm so glad you did this so that I could spend my eternity in paradise. Now please excuse me while I live my life the way I want to. That's basically what you're saying to Jesus. I mean, some of us have lost our zeal and passion and desire to simply be in God's presence and to to have that intimate connection with God and be changed. And we've instead become bored with God. And we've become more excited about our hobbies or about our job or about our kids or about our next big project or maybe about, about the Packers this season. But I, I want to remind you this morning that heaven, while it is our, while it is our, uh, our future, it's our home, it's our future home. It's not the ultimate goal, my friends. Jesus Christ is the goal. Being in the presence of Jesus, face to face, is the goal. Heaven is a means to that, not the other way around. Being in the presence of God without fear of punishment, knowing we are forgiven, God with us, us with him, no fear, no shame, no more Sorrow, no more sin. That is the goal. Heaven should not even make us think of a wonderful place. Heaven should make us think first about being in the presence of God. That's what heaven is for. It's just about us. That's what heaven is. It's just God's God's undiluted presence. 
His glory shining on us. That's heaven. That's what heaven's about. And we will not experience the presence of God as long as we fear people more than God. As long as people are bigger in our eyes than God is. There's one more verse I wanted to share with you out of the New Testament that talks about the fear of God. And it's very telling. In the book of Acts, uh, uh, Luke is telling us about the history and the growth of the early church. And he said, he, there's a bunch, we're studying this in my Tuesday morning Bible study right now, which meets at 10 o'clock. If you haven't been there and you're free on Tuesdays, it would be great if you would join us. It's open to men and women. We're going through the book of Acts right now, and we've been looking at some of these summary statements, and Luke kind of summarizes the state of the church in this verse, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and this is what he says. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and it was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now think about that for a second. What is the key to growing a strong church? Is it great programs? Is it great people? Is it healthy leadership? Is it a compelling brand? Is it the right marketing scheme? Is it a well thought out, clear strategy and vision? Now all of those things are important and they might help, right? But Luke points out here that the strength and growth of the early church was caused by these two things. The encouragement or comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. In other words, these early disciples of Jesus cared more about God's thoughts than the thoughts of other people. They cared more about God's words than other people's. They craved God's praise, not the praise of other people. And they exploded. That's what caused the strength and the growth of the early church. Is it any different today? No. It's the same. And that's where we need to be. So I'd like to offer you a personal challenge this week. And I've been trying to do this every week. And if you're not already spending time with God in prayer and in his word every morning, this is what I want to challenge you to do. I would like to challenge you this week to set some time aside every single day, Monday, Monday through Friday, to spend time with God in his word. And there are, I'd like you to read one chapter a day. And I'm going to tell you what chapters you can read that I think will help you develop the fear of God. And this is what they are. Job chapter 38 to 41 and Isaiah chapter 40. And you can just read one chapter a day. One chapter a day. And if you get through those five chapters this week, then I would like you to come to me next week and I can, I'll give you a suggestion of where to go next. But I'm just giving you this challenge for this week. One chapter a day. Tomorrow morning you wake up, Job chapter 38, and you just, you just meditate on it all day. And then the next day you go to Job 39 and then Job 40. And I do believe that if you come to God's word with a sincere heart and ask God to speak to you, God is going to teach you how to, to fear him this week. And th- I'm telling you, that's what we need. You will grow closer in your relationship to God. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. which is your thoughts to us. It's your promises to us. It's your encouragement to us. It's living and active. And through your word to us, God, you renew our faith. You lead us in repentance. You You renew our zeal and passion for you. You turn our indifference into into passionate praise. You overcome our fears. 
And some of us, God, in, in this place, we've been living and harboring the fear of people for many, many years. It's kind of like a part of us. It's just, it's just who we are. We care too much about the opinions of others. We want, you know, we call it, we call it today people-pleasing. And some of us, we talk about ourselves as people-pleasers. It's just like who we are. It's part of our personality. But I pray, God, that if we fear people and if we're more concerned about people, other people's words and other people's thoughts than we are about your words and your thoughts, God, that you would crush that fear in us, that you would, would break that spiritual stronghold and that you would bring us into your presence and change us and cause us to fear you and transform our lives so that we can experience your life and be free. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.